Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I might chip out, man. I got this, yeah. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers, episode 55. We have a recap for the tough finale, um, if you will. And then also, we're going to look forward to Brunson Till this weekend. We have a full panel here today. We have Parker, Kobe, and Danny. Boys, how are we feeling? Feeling good. Rejuvenated from last week and uh, ready to make some money. That a boy. We're all about the money. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Riding a lot of hot, hot props. Yeah, we. I think we had another week of, of green. It's just, I know I previewed it on Set the Spread, but it's just, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find another podcast that pays you to listen. It's crazy. We're on a good gig here. We are. We're on a, we're on a hot run here. So, as usual, we'll kick it off with the recap, get in some news and notes, break down this week's card, and we will also have Parker props for you. As usual, no interview this week, so it's just kicking it with the boys. Starting off early uh, for last week's card, for what looked to be a really good card for like a non-pay-per-view or just like a regular fight night card, it ended up exceeding my expectations personally. I, I don't know if you guys have similar vibes to that, but you're looking just early. So, Dan, Mana Martinez, you were all over him. Uh, in the distance missed, but you took him live as well for a, a good amount of units there. It, yes, sir. Yeah, he, he, he's coasted to unanimous decision, but is there any that take? split was crap. It wasn't, it wasn't unanimous. It was a split. Got me off on, on edge to start the night. Yeah, but, uh, it should have been UD. Sorry. Yeah, split. Which is right. It, it was ridiculous, ridiculous. I think it was Adelaide Bird. The, she always ma- managed yeah, yeah, to screw yeah. up the scorecards. Is she the one uh, who fucked up that – there's some – judge who fucked up the canelo alvarez guard when he fought uh triple g and she's still refs in the ufc right now it's crazy but sorry we're getting bogged down by donovich so you were all over this one from the beginning i tailed you in my official plays as well so great pick did it go how you thought is the main question i have for you yeah he, he looks like a killer he looked really sharp he looked good everywhere and just great debut performance or not debut, but debut for a full camp. That that short notice fight is, is whatever. Yeah. And the other thing too, that's important is this is one of those guys that I think a couple years from now, we'll look at the value we got him at coming off the contender series loss. I think that steamed the line down a little bit. And I, I, I think he'll be a guy that has a pretty good overall UFC career. He's definitely a fighter. Um, And it should be, it should be the last we see Guido as well. Oh, for sure. He's gone. Yeah, yeah, he's eight and seven. I know a guy, a guy on this card already got chopped. Um, Kobe, Country Club, as usual. Can you stop me for the performance of the nights and fight of the night so we can get over, go over the bonuses? Um, featherweight bout, Jamal Emmers. Now this one I took a bath on. Dan, you had a great tweet on the on your uh, DK Capper Longhorn MMA underscore whatever. It, it was a really good tweet. It, it might have been on the ankle account too. So. Jamal Emmers drops Sabatini with a uppercut. The only thing I was worried about the entire time was don't get sub Jamal Emmers. Don't get sub Jamal Emmers. Instantly goes to the ground, mounts him, 
30 seconds later, he, he taps. I, I think he might've popped his ACL too. It was, oh, a, yeah. yeah, it was, it was a nasty submission, but I will admit defeat on this one. I'll admit I lost it, but it, the fight went how I thought it was going to go. I thought Emerson was going to get the finish. I thought Emerson was a better fighter, but this is, this really to me is, is the epitome of why you don't take fighters with bad fight IQ. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you were on the right side. It's just Pat Sabatini that Daniel Gracie camp is so dangerous. And the one thing that Emers couldn't do was fall on top of him. I mean, he did get Mount and he was succeeding for a minute when uh, that flash knockout happened and Pat was still coming too, but Pat was able to exit out the back door for like a, a half sweep and just grab a hold of that and ankle and just take it home. And that's the thing too, is if I'm yelling from behind the TV, granted I tape these guys a lot, but if I'm yelling, get up, get up, get up, what are you doing? You have to expect that either his camp is also doing that or they came in with a failed game plan and thought that Sabantini either wasn't as dangerous on the ground as he clearly is or that Emmers might be better on the ground than they initially expected. But I, I was shocked when he took him to the mat. I think that if he asked the ref to stand him up, it, it, the, the finish was written on the walls, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Sabatini's heel hook got him 50K. Who did? Sabatini. Sabatini 50K, well-deserved. I maybe he'll – I would say maybe pay me back for – but why would he? I bet against him. But, yeah, so that one I that one sent me down uh, the river thanks to Danny Martinez. I was not near as red as I should have been. But as you'll find out later, I inch my way back up to pretty green. So women's fly about J.J. Aldridge, uh, D- Demonopolis. I mean, this went to UD. I don't have anything to add. Dan, nothing. Nah, went exactly how we thought. Yep. Light heavyweight bout. Dustin Jacoby, ankle lock of the week winner. Kobe, what, does that, bring, what does that bring 20, us to? 20 and 10. 20 and 10 in the ankle lock. So 66% clip. And Dustin Jacoby got it done. I mean, if we don't know how to bet Darren Stewart, I don't know who else does. And unfortunately, sadly, sadly, that that train will come to an end. I mean, we we've made our made our dinner and 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 dessert, but fading Darren Till and Sadly, it's over. Yeah, there's – it's uh, official. Darren Stewart is no longer in the UFC ranking pool or matchmaking. Do we see him back? I, I don't know. I think that he's a fine, like, fight to book. I'm not upset when I see him on the card, but 12-8, and eight, I don't know his UFC record, but it can't be good. So, see ya. But, yeah, Justin Jacoby's kickboxing, in all honesty, like, my big concern – Looking at the Darren Stewart fight, we talked about it before, man, the ink lock was, what are the takedowns going to be like? Can he defend the takedowns? Can he get up from the takedowns? And uh, once once he showed that he could do that, it, to me, it was game over. And he yeah. showed it. And then he caught him with that knee on the way in. And I mean, it so, was, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, so KOTK round one. Looks like Jacoby didn't get sent home with any bonus, though. And then this is one that I personally played, and I underplayed it because – Danny scared me off a little bit. I only did a unit, but I, I don't know if I even would have done more than unit. But Sam Alvey, probably also going to get the pink slip here. I think he's like 0-6 in his last six. And Wellington Terman appears to potentially be fighting another day. Loses. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. He loses two points in the third round. And it, it, instantly. So he instantly throws another eye poke in the third round. Loses his second point and he still won the unanimous decision somehow. Sam Alvey, 
for a guy who calls himself smiling Sam Alvey, I have never seen him so livid in my life after that uh, decision got announced. A couple of interesting things, because it did end up being a split. And, and as, as a guy who I, I, I ended up backing Alvey for a unit and lost that. But yeah. even, even as a, with a biased standpoint, I mean, Wellington won that fight with the two well, points being taken away. Well, so that's the thing that I didn't understand. Okay. Wellington won the first two, right? That was clear. I mean, that was, everyone saw that. The last round was only 20 seconds in. The only person who had a significant strike slash strike thrown was Alvi. I poke happened. Okay. They go to the judges scorecards. It became 29, 28. And I couldn't figure out how that's even possible. Cause it was 10, nine, 10, nine. And then in theory, it should have been 10, seven. Right? Maybe they gave the second round to Alvi and the third to Emmers, or not Emmers, Terman. And so it, it wasn't a 10 no, 7. And so then it was a 9 8 round. Yeah. I don't know. Moral of the story, it was crazy, but Wellington Terman deserved to win that fight, in my opinion. I just, these eye pokes, I don't even blame him at this point. I mean, Dana White needs to do something about this. It happens every card, multiple times. It's it's out of control. We seem to lose a good fight almost weekly. But Sam Alvey, I, I think we've probably seen the last year. I think Terman still fights another day, but that was a one-unit cash for me. And then this one, I need to shout out Danny. And, and Kobe's nodding here. I think there was a bonus given out. You're on it. Performance of the night. Yep. So is there still a fight of the night or is it all four performances? Four performances. Okay. And, 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 um, Dustin Jacoby didn't get one. Nope. Interesting. So with that being said, uh, Abdul Razak Alassan, 17 second head kick KO first strike thrown. Dick, Dick Carrico like kind of leans into it and just lands absolutely flush and slumps him in half. Danny, I need to give you credit where credit's due. Danny called first round finish knockout for Abdul Razak Al Hassan. I think that was plus what, eight hundred or something crazy, seven hundred. Yeah, I think this was the the first of two fights in a row where we gave out just an absolutely massive prop that hit, yeah. and it really. I mean, thanks for the credit, but I didn't go out on too much of a limb. This is the only thing that we've seen from Abdul. The fact that people were betting him and not taking the round one finish, they, they had never watched him before. That's the only way he wins fights. Right. And it's so crazy because it's like, it doesn't really matter who you put across from him. I wouldn't feel confident betting either side because, you, I mean, the man clearly packs insane power. But as, like you said, once it gets out of the first round, you can almost call it. So interesting to say the least, but, I believe were you on were you on these personally or no? Oh yeah. Yeah, there you go. So that that's a that's a lot of green in that paycheck. So moving on to the main card here. Now, this main card, I will admit, is one of the better main cards I've seen in a long time. And it's starting off with another prop that that we were just all over. I ended up taking Mearshart straight up plus 415 because by sub was only plus 485. Didn't seem worth it to me. But Mahmoud Muradov is the heavy favorite, loses via submission to GM3. And a bonus to Mearshart. There you go. Deserve, well, well, well-deserving bonus from Mearshart there. Yeah. Well-deserving. He, he, he really looked good. And he added another fight at least onto his career. Yeah. Which, yeah. 
I agree. I mean, you look at some of these guys that Dana's keeping around. I mean, Sam Alvey in the last fight, for example, going 0-6 or 0-5. Like, Mearshart, like, wins one, loses one, wins one, loses one, usually by finish. Like, I could kind of see him just lingering around, you know? I Just one of those, like, Irlar Latifi types. Like, just kind of like the gatekeeper. But Makhlun Murdov, I think there's a great learning experience for him. I, it, like, I would have no issue backing Murdov in the future. He looked good. It just... Once he, once he got deeper into the fight, you could see him start to lose confidence, decline a little bit, and from there, I mean, that was all she wrote. Oh, yeah. So, Dan, this one's easier to predict. An Ultimate Fighter alum, Andre Petrowski, versus another technical Ultimate Fighter alum, Michael Gilmore. He came in and subbed in for one of the fighters who could fight but didn't want to, knee hurt, whatever. Uh, minus 500 favorite, and gets the third round KOTKO, but I will admit it was a lot closer than I think anyone thought going into the third round, going into the third round, Michael Gilmore minus minus one fifty live. I don't know about how close I, I really think that the headline for me taking away from this entire card was just how impressive these Daniel Gracie guys look on the ground. It, it just in terms of, and not so much jujitsu, Grappling for MMA, setting up the ground and pound, really holding position and just dominating. Um, it's interesting you say that, that because that is – I sit with my iPad when I watch the fights and I take some notes on things that I might want to bring into the podcast or that I've noticed, and that is something that I, I wrote down, is that the, the grappling – my exact words were the grappling for MMA is looked really strong uh, Saturday night. Definitely, and, and it was – a key factor in cashing my parlay. This was the last leg with Mana Martinez. Yeah. And what did that pay? And it probably minus. I think it was close to even. Yeah. I mean, that's a great parlay. I, I, I mean, especially when Mana hits, you're coasting into Petrovsky thinking, yeah, I, I probably booked that one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's an, another impressive hit for you. But coming off the Mershart by sub, coming off the, the first round winner, I mean, this was a really green Saturday night for us and the ink lock hit, which was always great. Here's where we came into a little bit of trouble, though. And I think that I had a tweet that went way under the radar through the ankle pick account because it's the most true thing I've ever heard. Kevin Lee is the modern-day RDA. There is no true weight class for this man. Now, I know this fight was Kevin Lee versus Daniel Rodriguez. We both were all over Kevin Lee. I agree with you. Kevin Lee lost the unanimous decision after dominating the first round, in my opinion. He was minus 350 live after the first round. Here's the thing. I know D-Rod is a big 170. I mean, that's apparent. He's like Darren Till at 170. There's big at 170. The thing is, Kevin Lee looked so fucking small in there. So small. He, like, needs to be 162.5 or, like, a 160 division even. I think he could get to. But, I mean, 55 was just too much, and 70 is just too much in the other way. It yeah. was apparent to me, at least. Definitely. That's, I mean – you're on top of it because he really struggled for those takedowns the second his gas tank was wearing even the slightest bit. And it just the size of D-Rod was just too much for him to deal with in terms of a grappling setting. And yeah. D-Rod was able to piece him up at range. No, and quite easy. And I think I overlooked D-Rod. I mean, now he's 16-2 and two in his MMA career. He definitely looks the part, but I've always been skeptical of him. And the more he fights guys like Kevin Lee on the other side and and – continues to battle i'm starting to like him more and more for future bats but 
I don't know. Where does Kevin Lee go from here? Does he go back to 155? Does he try to work? I mean, I don't think they're going to cut him. He, all the talent is clearly there. But, I mean, he's dropping a lot of fights he should win. I, I think this D-Rod fight is a winnable fight for him. I remember the ally Kinta fight should be a very winnable fight for him. Like, I don't know, man. I'm really curious to hear what you think. Where does Kevin I think go? if he doesn't get that highlight reel head kick KO on the BMF card, we've already seen the last one. And that sucks because he is so talented. But we are looking at a guy that's one and four in his last five. He like that's crazy to me because he is so fucking talented. Two, two and two and five in his last seven. Like you think he needs to change camps? Like what? Because I don't understand. Other than the and, he, and RDA, even though he was the definition of an in betweener type guy, he still had a fucking amazing run in both divisions. So, is it is it is it fight IQ? Is it technical skill set? Is it mindset? Is it condition? Like, what is it for Kevin Lee that's causing all these troubles? I can't figure it out. Yeah, I wish I had the answer. It's gotta be. It's gotta be gas tank and fight IQ. I mean, I know fight IQ cost him the Iakinta fight, but just getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, moving up. The first of the two finals for the tough. Season return 26, whatever, or take of Volkanovsky. Bantamweight bout. Ricky Tercios versus um, Brady Heisen. Danny, you were all over this one. You called it from the get-go. It was close. I think this was split decision. It was. This was extremely reminiscent of Forrest Griffin, Matt Bonner, in my opinion, or Stephen Bonner, in my opinion. I was shocked by how – I know the announcers made the, the call to it, and I was, like, noticing it. I was like – I mean, it was nonstop action, nonstop gas tank. I mean, they were throwing – Ricky Tercios, I've never in my life seen someone so active from the bottom. And it even gets down to the very split decision in the end that same thing for Griffin Bonner. If you haven't seen that fight, you got to go back and watch it. But Ricky Tercios looked amazing. You were all over it. We, we talked about him for a potential ankle lock as well. Um, I, I, anything you want to add? I mean, it was a great – Yeah, fight. no, it was just a super fun fight. The – I mean, I didn't agree with the split in this one, even though it was a close fight. I thought that second round, especially when Brady was on top, but Ricky was doing all the damage from the bottom, was just so telling of who Ricky is as a fighter. He's a guy who never says die, and it always finds a way to find an advantage at a disadvantage. And that's part of the reason why I really liked him here against a really unproven Brady, who I think is going to have a good future in this sport, but I don't know if it's if it's, if it's it's right now. At age 22, I could see him kind of getting a developmental contract or maybe even going through Dana White contender series still before getting another fight. I mean, both of those options I think are very possible. I I think that he could get a developmental contract. The thing is, is he trains with good guys out in Spokane. I mean, he fought reminiscent of Kiesa, in my opinion, a a tough vet as well. And I, I, I don't know about you. I was a little disappointed with, the frequency to which Brady could secure the takedown on Tercios. That was my fear going into the fight. And I don't know. I was concerned by that. I mean, yeah, a little bit. I don't think that Ricky, I mean, especially after this contender series uh, week, Kobe mentioned it pre-show yet. Yeah. The tough skill level is just not there. And I don't really think that any of these four guys are, have the brightest future ahead of them, but Brady at age 22 has a lot of the right tools. And I think that he, he can put them together down the line. No, I agree with you. And, and that was a really valuable 15 minutes going 
in that type of war with Tercios. I just, I don't know. It's close. I, I think it was also, I want to mention quick that you did bring up the fact that Brady probably will get a developmental contract or a contender series. I actually think I thought that instantly because Dana, when Griffin and, and Bonner did this, notoriously gave them both contracts. Like that's too fucking good to happen. They deliberately didn't interview Brady and he didn't, they didn't say anything about him getting another contract or whatever. I, I think they have something else in the works for him, but agree at 22. I don't really see him getting an instant call. Uh, then the next one's the middleweight co-main event. Brian battle defeats Gilbert Urbina via submission and earned himself another or a, another contract along with Ricky Tercios. This one surprised me. I thought Urbina was going to get it done. Is there anything that, that you took away from this one in particular as far as, I guess, mainly e- either one of these competing in the, at the 185 division in the UFC? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Urbina had his back in the first minute, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Urbina, was, Urbina I, took the first round 10-9 pretty easy, I thought. This and, was a – yeah. This was an instance where both guys were really unimpressive to me. You gave Urbina the exact situation he needed to be able to pull off the victory. You put him in, on a guy's back while they're both dry with the full gas tank and he can't figure it out. And then Brian Battle, I mean, how you let that happen right away? So the guy that's literally a one-trick pony, you know what he's coming to do. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It left, it left a lot to be desired for me. I've been low, not low, but I, I haven't been super high on Brian Battle throughout the show. I know he was the last pick, and I know he's improved. and so I wasn't overwhelmed by him throughout the show. I, I think Treshawn Gore probably would have disposed of him relatively easily. But I, I think my biggest takeaway from this is I was disappointed in Urbina. I thought Urbina was better than, than he was. I mean, he, he clearly kind of – got like started off strong against Gore too. And it, and then instantly halfway through that first round just disappeared. And I, I saw similar notes here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think Urbina gets a contract. I, I don't think battles a long mainstay in the UFC either, but, but I will mention for all the people wondering Dana officially is bringing back the show. He made it very clear that tough is coming back for another season at, at least. But as we said, Contender Series is making a strong claim to just put it to sleep. This last week's episode was phenomenal. Main event, I was wrong on this one. I, I really did at Barbosa. Edson Barbosa loses to Giga Jakatsi. Round three, KOTKO. Danny, you're over, just barely missed. Yeah, that was rough. I wanted to pour one out for you. I mean, it missed by, you had over two and a half, right? Yep. Yeah, tragic. Missed by. 30 seconds. Um, but those will happen. It was the right read. I definitely thought that as two of the highest level kickboxers at 145, they were going to respect each other and, and be defensively sound to last for the 15 minutes, but turned out to be a little bit less than I thought. And Giga, man, what what a what a performance. No, Giga looked really fucking good. Giga performs the night bonus as well. That was the fourth. Who was the third? Mearshard. GM3. Oh, GM3. That's right. And then Giga. Wow. So Tercios and Brady just – that could have been an easy fight of the night in my opinion. But yeah. wow. But still, no, nonetheless, I mean, you're looking at a guy like Giga who 
and, and other than Cub Swanson was the king of decisions. You know what I mean? He kind of just eked him out. I mean, he's he's put two tough finishes. Well, I mean, Edson Barbosa in a kickboxing fight to be the faster guy shook me. I was shocked how fast Giga was. Oh yeah, I'm right shocked. there with you. I was shocked. I I really could not believe it. I he looked so fast, and I don't know. I I, I he wore on Edson and and rocked him, and then finished up for the kill. Had the killer instinct. I'm impressed with Giga to say the least. And overall, I, I would give this card an A. I was I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. Can we give Giga Calvin Cater next? I would love that. I would fucking love that. That'd be a if Zabit ever fights again, that'd be a good one too. Danny, any read on Zabit? Is he ever going to fight again? I hope so. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a that's a big question. He needs to. He's been he's been looking great in the corner of a lot of his teammates. That Dag Fighter Jim is unstoppable. I mean, him and Khabib are two of the hottest coaches in the market right now. Yeah, it's actually unstoppable. But like, so why? Is it, has he even been vocal about it? Like, does anyone even know what his deal is? There was a there was a period like last year where he retired and then unretired, and now is kind of on the fence. But he's in the gym every day and he's training. I think he'll fight again. Okay. So, anyways, Kobe. But that being said, it is time for news and notes. Um. All right. A couple of things to run through here. Stop me where we're interested. Misha Tate and Ketlin Vieira headlining 10-16. That's going to be in the apex. Misha Tate, Ketlin Vieira. Okay. That Definitely glad that Misha Tate's back in the octagon as soon as she is, because that was kind of a little bit in question, obviously, with the time that she had off. But nothing nothing crazy about that one. Um, we have a very recent announcement. While we were recording, Chiesa and Sean Brady announced for November 20th. Okay, so Chiesa's going to die. Yeah, really? Sean Brady. Uh, I, I, I love Sean oh, Brady in that matchup. That's yeah. another that's another Daniel Gracie Philly guy with Petrosky and um who else did we just talk about? Sabatini. The, they're doing um, unreal stuff over there. No, I I Sean, I'm so high on Sean Brady. Two weeks later, we've got Rafael Fazeev and Brad Riddell. That's the fight announcement of the year. It's a sad one because these guys are like such close friends having trained so much together at Tiger Muay Thai, but talk about an awesome striking matchup. You got two guys that are just absolute killers. So creative, such great footwork. It's going to be sweet. Nunez Pena got rescheduled for UFC 269. Now there was a COVID situation with Nunez's camp. I believe might've been Amanda herself, Um, but that's 269 on December 11th. Okay. We had the entire main card for 268 announced on the broadcast on Saturday as well. I can run through that real quick, but it's Usman Colby 2, Rose Whaley, Gaethje Chandler, Sean Strickland, Luke Rockhold, Cheeto Vera, um, Frankie Edgar, Gerald Durandamy, Irene Aldana. Wait, Durandamy, Irene Aldana? Okay, that's a huge fight for, for – This is that, a heater of a card. Yeah, is that a bantam or feather? Bantam probably? I don't know. I it's got to be Bantam. I feel like the woman's feather is just yeah. at this point. And then the last one on the main card, there's Ali Akita, Bobby Green. Uh, Welcome a- back, Akita. That's kind of a cool fight too, honestly. I don't. The real that. estate market in New York has cooled off, and he, he finally <laughs> needs to make some more money fighting. My favorite part about Ray Janelle 
is he's notorious for being outspoken about how if you tap, you're a bitch. And he goes <laughs> to sleep. I mean, he, he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep, man. He's not lying. I've <laughs> seen it happen. Um, so we can have a little debate later on of 268 versus 267, but we got two just bangers coming up here. Yeah, thank God. And uh, I believe this – some rumors for 269 that it's going to be another triple title fight with uh the the Nunez that was just announced plus the Poirier um Oliveira Poirier Oliveira and then the last one was supposed to be Moreno Pantoja oh, oh. that'd be quick that'll be another that'll be another nuts card if which, those two rumors way, are confirmed which by the way might be an unpopular opinion but I think my favorite champion probably other than Usman just like my favorite champion is Brandon Volkanovski Volkanovski too. I love Volkanovski. Brandon Moreno is just such an awesome dude to root for. It is so easy. They were promoting You're it. Not wrong. They were po- promoting it a lot on this last week's card. There was a or on Tuesday Contender Series. There was a uh, Mexican-born fighter and fighting at fa- or flyweight, and they were basically doing comparisons to like how it's possible to be a Mexican-born fighter and and do well in the UFC and bounce back from losses, whatever, whatever. And they were just showing clips of Brandon Moreno, and I'm just like, God, I love this guy. This guy just is fucking awesome. I mean, the man is obsessed with Legos and Mickey Mouse. I mean, can you you can't make this shit up? I mean, literally. So, anyways, we gotta we gotta get Brandon Moreno on. I hope his English is good. He, is, um, he speaks good English. Yeah, he's a, he's a cool guy. So, with that being said, do you know who doesn't? Pantoja. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so is that it for news and notes? I got a few more. Alex okay. Pereira coming to the UFC. Oh, that's Ooh. huge. Yeah, that's Ooh. huge. That's. That do you, do you look out middleweights, look out light heavyweights. So you are Dan, about to get your block knocked off. Dan, do you think is he shaking in his boots at all or no? I think there's got to be a part of him that is. I think he's looking down the middleweight roster. We've had a lot of talks about it on this show, just with how we think it's relatively weak compared to the other divisions. And then you look at a guy like Pereira who's better than Izzy at the thing that separates Izzy from the division. Knocked Izzy out. Knocked. Beat him twice, knocked his out, knocked him out cold. And what would be interesting about that fight is if, if that fight, I mean, that fight would market itself, but you think Izzy I, shoots? I, I think Izzy might shoot. I mean, literally, you could find yourself in a scenario where Izzy's shooting, which that'd is be so funny. Hilarious. That, but that's big, big news. I, I, I believe the exact headline or, or article is he has one more fight in glory kickboxing and then he's going to make his full pursuit and train for mixed martial arts do we have a age check on Pereira? i was about to ask that yeah danny get on that i want to say he's like 32 which doesn't bode well for him but but we've seen guys make later moves than that not later moves but i mean gig is 30 34 Ooh, see that's not great yeah i mean well i mean he's got people hold gold at 40 He's got such an amazing foundation. It's not – that's not the issue. It's just tough to really start trying your MMA career when you're over that hump. And, and I guess the chin's not going to be the issue either. I mean, it would, oh, once yeah. you're getting up in age, that's one of the biggest questions. And the defensive – just the defensive striking accolades that he has. Are, there are just some guys that are just built different in that department. I mean, Overeem's the one that comes to name. I mean, that man uh, – Joe Rogan is just like – he has conversations with him, and he's like, he's literally just on the ball, sharp as a wit. You never would think it. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, another guy in terms of built different, the last thing we'll say, just 
Yoel. Kickboxers built different. No, Rod Tang. Guys that literally oh, just yeah, like yeah, get yeah. powered up by eating haymakers. And they're like, yeah. all right, now I'm stronger. Like right, these right. kickboxing guys are different. No, they are. They really are. And the Muay Thai guys are another leg up from those. Right. Guys. It's just all fucking insane. Um, the last piece here is just Dana White Contender Series. We can do a quick recap. Five contracts given out from Dana. Wow. Loser got fights, contract five contracts. Yeah. Really quickly, I would be – thank you, Kobe, for letting us do this. I wasn't sure if we'd be able to. Yeah, this Contender Series card this week is the, the best Contender Series episode I think I've seen. And the big takeaway that I, it sounds like we've all had is – the big takeaway that it sounds like we all had was that it, this, that when you compare this to tough, one is significantly more entertaining than the other and tough is not the winner. <laughs> it's just higher quality fights. Yeah. Higher quality fights. And the whole backstory they put in five minutes before the fight. I mean, it's right. five minutes. You learn everything about the two fighters in five minutes and you get a sick fight. But so uh, the long and the short of it, AJ Fletcher, 24 years old, does a, one of the, Best flying knees I probably have ever seen. Really athletic. Yeah, not only really athletic, but right on the butt. I mean, he, he cornered him into the cage. Felder broke it down great. Got his back to the cage, closed the distance, threw the knee right up the gut, landed. Uh, that was a first-round KOT, KO flying knee, and that was a pretty even line. And then this one was a very controversial decision, and that's why Dana ended up awarding both of these men contracts. Carlos Candelario and Victor Altamirano or Altamirano. That, that was the Mexican born flyweight we were talking yep. about. The one takeaway for this one for me, split decision was just that I expected a lot more from Altamirano uh, coming in minus 190 favorite, uh, very strong credentials, it, not only in kickboxing, but just overall MMA. And Carlos Candelario has never impressed me. And I think Altamirano performed poorly and, and got the job done. I, I think. Carlos Candelario will be a quick exit in the UFC. I mean, guys like Jared Brooks, who, who isn't in the UFC right now and has been cut, I, I think is significantly more talented than both of these men. So the flyweights are interesting, to say the least. Uh, then quickly, Joe Anderson Brito versus Diego Lopez. Both these guys, the broadcast continuously, we're talking about how they're both UFC ready. I could not agree more. Um, it unfortunately ended in an eye poke. Again, Brutal. what I'm this brutal is, eye poke but this is what i'm saying i mean dana you gotta do i mean we're losing a fight a week at least to these eye pokes and there are solutions out there it's just a shame to to see all these good fights end without a true true finish because of this but they ended up going to the judges scorecard deemed incidental lost a point but joe anderson brito ended up winning uh looked phenomenal so the long they both look phenomenal no, they, I, I don't know. I mean, Diego Lopez, basically his chin looked phenomenal. He, I've never seen someone eat harder elbows in my entire life. But the big thing for me that I think is important to note is just the fact that Brito, Diego Lopez is a phenomenal submission artist and Brito, Brito worked the top control phenomenally and slipped out of a lot of submissions, which showed high level defense. And if you're escaping Diego Lopez's subs, You'll do okay in the UFC, especially in the in the. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the featherweights. If there's not a lot of guys, I'd be scared about him getting sub to. I, I think he's going to make a serious, serious run in the UFC. And then the last one was just a, a KOTKO first round. He was a minus 700 favorite. Uh, Azat Merkazakhanov, just a Russian. Uh, Azamat. Yeah, but finished him with a with an overhand. That was heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. It was an overhand right or left. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, he looked good too. They, they all look good. First um, star of the night goes to Laura Sanko, though. Yeah, I do. I'm. She was I mean, phenomenal on the call, yeah. in the booth, in the inter- in the cage, in the post fight interviews. She was she was everywhere, and she was phenomenal. Yeah, they extended her role this week, and she was in the booth, and she she I mean she I mean she's a fighter herself. She's got an upcoming bout, so she I mean she she knows what she's talking about. She doesn't fuck around. But yeah, all in all, phenomenal card. I'm really excited for next week. We have no card, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday, and so we're we're getting blessed with. Uh, after this Saturday, there's a Tuesday night contender series and there's going to be a, a, another one. So we're going to, after this week's car, we're going to have back-to-back contender series. So get used to it, but it, it, it's a great product. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. High quality fights. Yeah. That's all I got for news and notes. Okay, cool. So we're going to move on to this week's fight card. Then, um, we'll go somewhat quick as usual. We don't have an ankle lock this week, although it hit last week, Danny and I had a couple ideas and we'll get into that, but nothing that really had us you know, jumping out of our seats. Yeah. Jumping out of our seats to give you guys a, a spot to put your money. So that's something to note. Um, but with that being said, we have Darren Till versus Derek Brunson. And we'll start it off with the first fight of the night. The, the curtain jerker who was my front runner for the ankle lock, uh, Jonathan Martinez, 13 and four um, against Marcelo Rojo. Uh, and the line on this one's Jonathan Martinez minus 155, row plus 135. I just think Martinez, for as good of a striker as he is and is, and has technical and technically sound as he is, I think that he's getting a little bit discredited at this minus 155, especially against a guy like Rojo, who's never truly proven he can strike at, at this high of a level in the UFC. And so I, I was really shocked when I saw 155. If this was a set the spread type line, I would I would have put a two in front of it in favor of Jonathan Martinez. And I didn't see anything in taping that that turned me away from that. So in my opinion, this is uh, this is something that will see my card, and and I'm pretty confident in Jonathan Martinez here, especially at that clip. There's definitely value there. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I definitely lean Martinez. For me, Rojo just making his second walk to the octagon. There's a lot of question marks because it. I really think it's his first walk to the octagon, his first real walk, taking a short notice fight. I think it was less than a week notice against Charles Jordan and then fought an absolute, like wasn't fight of the night, but could have been against Charles Jordan. And he knocked him out with a buzzer beater KO. But I think Rojo ended up winning the first round and looked good for a decent amount of that fight. He said, yeah, he set an absolute, just ridiculous pace and kept up with it, which is kind of what, steered me away from making it a lock i do lean martinez i think he's the better striker i think that he's going to have a lot of success at range just being able to stay on the outside and counter rojo by landing some just good check hooks and whatnot um and also those leg kicks that i love of jonathan martinez i was just worried that because it's so many question marks from rojo yeah and that's a fair so i actually watched a charles jordan fight and I actually was able to pull up a couple of his combat fights from uh, MMA core, not to expose any sources, but there he definitely has the raw foundational talent. I just think Martinez, I mean, you brought up the leg kicks, which I think when you get into a level like the UFC, the leg kicks are one of those ginormous different makers from the other types of promotions. I, I just think Martinez is going to be able to throw something he can't see. And I, I really, unless I'm totally missing something here, I think 155 is just a steal. But you could be right. 
There could be a ton of value. And, and But I told Dan, and, and the reason why we ended up kind of leaning away from this being ankle lock is this line's almost so stale that it's it scares me a little bit. Like, I'm almost curious why this line – I mean, it's, it hasn't had a lot of movement. I, I don't really understand why Rojo is, is marginally the dog. I would expect it to be a little higher. So we'll see. He might come out and just, like you said, all the unknowns are answered, and he just looks phenomenal. I mean, that absolutely is in the cards. So who knows? This one's an exciting one and a potential underspot for me. Middleweight bout Dolce Lungambula versus Mark Andre Barriot. And the line is uh, Lugambula uh, plus 145, Mark Andre Barriot uh, minus 165. So, yeah, Dolce is absolutely huge. This is a guy who has fought at both light heavyweight and middleweight. This fight's down at middleweight. Obviously, he packs a massive punch. Um, he's got he's got a very high level of judo, um, almost higher than I've seen out of anyone in men's UFC and whatnot since Ronda Rousey. Honestly, his judo is awesome, and he goes for a ton of hip throws and really exciting stuff in the first round. But those two things combined, him being a bigger guy that cuts more. And those looping overhand punches with the with the hip throws that are all big movements leave him with a lot of gas tank problems. And what I really see happening in this fight is him starting fast, winning the first round, pretty dominantly getting hip throws, maybe even cracking Barrio. But Barrio's experienced. And, and yeah. I, I think as this goes on, he's going to be able to piece up Dalcha. I think that there's going to be a live play opportunity after round one on MAB. And I really think that after Dalcha punches himself out, it's just going to be Barrio landing freely. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. The line for me, I didn't love. I, I leaned more towards the under. I agree with you. I mean, Lugan Bull is just absolutely ginormous. He was really big in the African scene before making the jump to the UFC. And and he, he hasn't really faced, I mean, other than Ankaliyev, who kind of, that fight, he kind of toyed with him a little bit. I mean, Marcus Perez, he fights in LFA now. Daquan Townsend, I don't believe he's in the UFC anymore. Mark andre Burial, other than Ankalaya, will be his toughest test to date, for sure. But, I mean, he's just a ginormous 85-er. Andre Burial dropped three tough ones in a row. But he beat Oscar Pachota, sent him packing. And then Abu Azatir, who I know I personally like um, as, a, as a prospect in the 85, he ended up grounding-pounding him. I see this going similar to you, Dan. I think if Luganbula wins, it'll be probably in the first round. After that, I think it's going to be a slow climb back for Andre Burial, either a finish or the 29-28 decision favor him. But I, I, the line to me didn't read anything to me, and I was leaning a little more towards the under. Yeah, I, I don't hate the under. I just think that I lean Mark andre Burial. Yeah. I don't, I don't love Luganbula as a prospect. And I'm a guy who loves yeah. his prospects. I'm with, I'm with you. Catchweight bout. Julian Arosa, Juicy J. He's been around forever versus Charles Jordan. Sure to be a striking match. Charles Jordan minus 185. Julian Arosa plus 160. Line opened closer. Very little movement, but uh, at Arosa plus 140. So it seemed a little bit towards Jordan. I mean, this to me is just going to be a uh, high pace striking output flashy bout. It's interesting that you said it's sure to be a striking bat match because that's what I thought initially as well. But then yesterday, I think it was, Arosa in his interview was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out here to wrestle and make it boring. I want the win. I, like, I, I don't care about the fight. And 
I saw it as a quote. I need to actually check out the article to see if it was a yeah. tongue-in-cheek comment or whatnot. No, that's because Arosa is the opposite of how he fights. Arosa right. has an effectively wild way of, of just putting a pace on you, getting your back into the fence, like just making it ugly. But he, he is susceptible to being clipped and KO'd, as we just saw against Sung Woo Choi. And now there's a quick turnaround after that big KO. But I, I do think that if he can make this fight ugly, it's kind of leans him. And, and really the way that I see this with Jordan being more well-rounded, but a little inconsistent, I see it as a coin flip. And I think there's value on the dog here, value on Juicy J, just because I think he wins this fight 50% of the time. And, and Vegas is saying that that's not the case. It's interesting. I I didn't see it exactly like that. I worry just, I mean, Arosa's been cut from the UFC a couple of times. He's older. I think Jordan's a little hungrier. Coin flip's not off base, though. I don't disagree. I personally, my biggest problem is I don't trust either of these fucks with my money. <laughs> That's the real problem in all this is I think they're both going to go crazy and they're both going to put on a show, but it's, I think it's hard. I mean, does this see your card, Dan? At this point, it's, it's not on my card. It's, uh, it's kind of teetering on the edge though, especially I got to check out that Arosa interview and see if it was tongue in cheek. Cause if he's serious, cause I, I really do think he's a better wrestler than Jordan. I think that if he wants to make this fight boring, he can win it. And he's just never shown to like have a game plan like that. And that's why the fight is lined the way it is. I mean, the fact that you even said, when you said better wrestler than Jordan, like that is true, but it's like, I never would have thought this conversation would be had. You know what I mean? Like, it mm-hmm. seems so crazy for a Jordan Arosa fight to be, uh, think, even thought of as a grappling match. That's interesting. Right. I, I would be interested to see if that quote's real or more just try to get him off his scent. Bantamweight bout. This one I know you're going to have a lot to talk about. You talked about a potential prop play since the shoreline's out of control, but undefeated prospect Jack Shore versus Ludovic Sholinian. And, and Kobe, this is the Ludovic. From the show, this is your guy. This is this is the loot of it from the Ultimate Fighter season. I don't know if I want to claim him as my guy, but yeah, I, I'm aware that he exists. Uh, yeah, you brought him up three times, so he's officially your guy. So that's that's how we're going with this. All right, let's um, go loot of it. Yeah, you're you're you hire. Kobe's Ludovic. investing heavily in the Shalinian rookie cards exactly, next break. Exactly. This is his. Anyone named loot of it, Kobe needs a PSA ten. But so Jack Shore is minus five fifty. Loot of it plus four twenty five. I mean, the line is, in my opinion, accurate. I don't think it's too out of control. So, Dan, how do the how do the viewers beat this line to still get a play in on Jack Shore? Oh yeah, uh, right off the bat, I'll be playing Shore in a parlay. Um, and, and as reset, I've got a prop for you. The way I see this fight, it's Shalinian on short notice. He was replacing, I think, two different fighters that were initially scheduled against Jack Shore. Um, and Jack Shore. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll stay on Ludovic for a second. He, we saw him in the most recent episode or most recent season of Tough. Uh, he beat uh, Mitroposo in his first fight and then ended up losing yeah. to Ricky Tercios. Um, he's a guy who's a good wrestler. He, he's, that's probably his, his best skill. It's his easiest path to victory within the house. He might have been the best wrestler in the entire house. Um, and he's a guy who struggled taking and keeping Ricky Tercios on, on his back. Ricky Tercios was able to pop up as any times he wanted. And then we've got Jack Shore, who is a prospect I'm incredibly high on. Yeah, we, we, we're we big Jack Shore guys on this pod. He is a wizard, an absolute maniac he's at grappling. Be, for sure. He's absolutely and, a wizard. Yeah, and not to mention he's a decent stand-up game to tie it together. I just don't see Ludovic having any success 
in any of the things that he's skilled at because Jack Shore is so much better than him everywhere. I, I, I've got Jack Shore inside the distance, plus 110. 15 minutes is a long time to get dominated from a grappling standpoint. And if Ludovic wants to strike, we saw what happens. Ricky Tercios pieced him up. Ricky Tercios did a whole Holloway thing, pointed to the center of the octagon during tough and was like, let's strike. And you've got loopy, loopy Ludovic just missing and getting pieced up. Jack Shore is going to dominate him anywhere this fight goes. I agree. And you just got to hope that because Jack Shore, the talent gap is so huge. I hope he doesn't just coast to the decision victory, which he could do effortlessly. I do hope he puts him away, but that's definitely a way to beat around it and, and get a plan on this. And then the, the prelim capper is, is just Meatball Molly versus Gio Kim. The line's even. Meatball Molly minus 112. Uh, Gio Kim minus 108. I'll, I'll, full cards on the table, Dan. I didn't take this one. You got anything worth adding or should we continue to advance? I've got, a, I've got a small amount. Kim, decorated martial artist, when you look at her on paper, she's got like a high-level belt in literally every martial art, from like judo, jiu-jitsu. Uh, she's got like Chinese wrestling experience, um, even Krav Maga. But then you watch her in the octagon, and she literally only boxes, like not even kickboxes. She and literally only – Meatball Molly's top control is actually decent. Phenomenal. Not to mention her boxing. She's most known for her boxing. You've got a girl who, in Kim, is just going to pepper the jab like a, a la Holly Holm, but way worse. Um, <laughs> and, and just and just get beat up by McCann here. Not to mention Kim is bad takedown defense. And like you said, Molly's got a good top pressure. She, I, I tape her as a bad defensive wrestler, but a good offensive wrestler. So it's just about who's first here. Yeah. Um, the line's even, I think, because Kim has like a three-inch height advantage and like a six-inch reach advantage. But we've talked on this show and proven on this show a ton in women's MMA, especially the height and reach doesn't do shit unless you know how to use it, unless you really know how to work behind your jab. And I don't think Kim does. I like Molly here. It's not on my card yet, but but you also can't even play dog or pass here. It's dead even. Exactly. I was going to say, it's one of the rare fights that I get to pick a side and and my hand isn't forced to just play the woman's dog because that's a science. That's a real science. Right. Betting women's dogs just being profitable. Bingo. So stay tuned to, to Twitter because Danny will officially make, make his plays later on in the week. So moving on to the main card now, and we've kind of changed up the format here a little bit. So Parker's props were just so green that he's going to have a prop bet for every single fight. Danny and I, our props were not as green. We were throwing darts at a dartboard, just trying to figure out, you know, what, where you could potentially find value. So we've changed it up a little bit. MCC seems to be in the rear view mirror, but Parker's props is here to stay and a breakdown for the fights and, and potential betting advice is also in, in store. So first fight on the card here is a lightweight bout. And I'm personally excited for this one because it's a guy I've been following for a long time prior to the UFC and Patty Pimlet. And he is fighting Luigi Vendermini and the line is Pimlet minus 155 Vendermini plus 135. So I look at this fight, and as Reese mentioned, Pimlet is a guy that if you're deep into this MMA scene, you've known his name for a while. Uh, he's a cage warriors double champ. He's got, I mean, a McGregor-style amount of hype in Europe especially. Yeah. Um, big in England. I think he's out of Liverpool. But he fights completely different than Connor. Don't expect this guy to get a left check hook knockout at any time. He is 
an aggressive grappler. He's a maniac of a no-gi grappler. Um, I really do think that looking at Vendramini, who is another black belt on the ground, a absolute no slouch of a guy, I think the only reason that Pimblet's favored is because of the amount of support and hype he has coming out of Europe. I think that Vendramini probably should be the favorite here. But if you're going to buy into the Patty Pimblet and you think that this is going to be a great debut for him, I think the only play is by sub. Literally could not agree more. I I don't love the by sub play necessarily. Do you have a line on that while while we're here? Because I think Pimlet could potentially work the clinch and, and work control time and, and edge off a decision. But I agree. I think that if gone to my head, I had to bet here for value. I'm probably on Vendermini here. Just it's three fifteen by sub for Pimlet. But I do, yeah, I think we're on the same page. The value's on the Benjamini side. I do not think that he's at a serious disadvantage in terms of the grappling department. I, 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 yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you. I know how good Patty is, and I, I'm excited to see if he gets an awesome sub. He's one of those guys that when he's grappling, he's never really pausing for position. He's not trying to tire you out. He's not really trying to win a round. He's a dog chasing a car. Like, he's looking for that sub like it is – the, I mean, the key to the cage to let him out. It is, I mean, he goes aggressive and yeah. just, it's awesome to watch him. No, it's fun to fight. And it's a guy that I think a lot of people will talk from. And it's a funny looking guy too. Like he, he's fun to root for. It, it's just from a betting standpoint, I think it's got to be vendor meaning or pass, probably a pass for me, but uh, a sub prop is, is looming for DK Capper. So Parker, with hearing that breakdown, you came into the night with your props already set in stone. What do you have for this one? Taking the Italian Stallion, PKO plus 415. Wow. Okay, so th- we're, we're going for Vendor Meanie by finish from Parker plus 415. A lot of value there. I don't hate that at all. What's, don't hate it at all. Yeah, uh, we, we seemingly agreed without – Parker didn't hear any of our breakdown. He came in hot with these picks beforehand. Danny and I both like Vendermini, and, and Parker seems to as well, just by finish. Light heavyweight bout, Mudesis Bukasius versus Khalil Roundtree. And the line on this is Roundtree plus 130, Bukowskis minus 150. I think this is a really good line. Uh, Modestus is coming off two straight losses, even though the last one being controversial, a fight that I thought he won versus Michelle Oleg Jacek. Uh, he's a good striker, creative striker, good takedown defense. And the big thing for me is that he actually switched gyms uh, in between that Ola J. Chuck in this camp. He was fighting a, out of a, like a no-name gym in the middle of nowhere, like two hours north of London, and has found a gym that he still is the biggest name at. And, and being Modestus Bukowskis, that's not really saying much. But it is a, a much realer higher caliber higher caliber higher level gym and it's much closer to his house he was mentioning in interviews that he was only training three days a week up until this camp and now it's now it's his life so I think that we're going to see some big steps forward from Bukowskis and against Roundtree I think this is the first time that we're going to see Bukowskis not have to defend takedowns He's fought strikers before who have all become wrestlers after striking with him for a second. That's not to say he's some unbelievable striker because, I mean, he did get knocked out by, um, who was it? It'll come to me in a sec. But it's not to say he's some unbelievable striker. 
it's just he's he is creative and he hits you from a lot of different angles in a lot of different places. And I don't think that Roundtree has a game plan or a, a, just a plan B. We saw in his last fight versus Pracnio, a fight where he was massive favorite. Right. I don't want to bring out the word, but it felt like he quit. It no, felt I, like he I, just didn't want it at a certain point. I mean, the problem with me backing Roundtree ever is you don't know what Roundtrees you're going to get. He went to Thailand, came back, and absolutely dominated. He looked phenomenal. And then next thing you know, you see him kind of folding under pressure a little bit. It's tough. I, I, I do want to note, though, the line opened at Roundtree minus 150 and has basically flip-flopped the other way. So I don't know if there's still value on the Bukowski side, but I, I do agree, Dan. I, I, I think the camp changes are going to help on the Bukaga side, I think he's going to win. I, I really do. I don't think Roundtree at this point in his career, eight and five, and he's dropped, I don't know, one, one and four in his last five, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't know. I, I also think he's fighting for his career, though. It's just a tough spot. And we'll see. I, I, I think that – I mean, is this going to see your card? I think it might. This yeah. is one. This is one that I kind of had penciled in, hadn't written it in pen yet, but um, I, I really, I mean, Bukowskis has made so many steps forward. Even just looking at him in that Jimmy Crute fight—that's the name I couldn't think of—to uh, the the Michelle Olajacek fight. So many steps forward in terms of just shoring up his his the technicality of his striking and just becoming way more crisp. I think that he's a complete fighter, and then taking that step from the no-name gym to a legit gym that has pro fighters, obviously not in the UFC, but in cage warriors and in other European promotions that he's got bodies to train with for the first time in his career, becoming a five-day full-time mixed martial artist. Seven-day, sorry, not yeah. five-day, but um, I, I really think there's a good spot for Bukowski. And also looking at a guy who's 27 years old, and that's really the where you really start to make leaps and bounds in your career. Like You can look time and time again throughout the history of the sport and guys really start to regress at, around that time in their career because the mind and the, the body kind of sync together. Parker, what's your prop for this bad boy? So nothing too crazy here. I, I didn't, nothing really stuck out to me. I saw that Roundtree was uh, coming off two, two losses in a row. I think it's fight to go to decision. I'm not picking a side here. Um, taking the fight by decision plus 215. Wow. And that's an interesting one. That's because- a great line. Yeah, I, that's an interesting one because I think if you pulled the average person, they're going to see two ginormous 205ers, and I would snap the under, especially with the way Roundtree fights. So if it goes – I would be very impressed if it goes to decision, but I, I don't hate that line at all. Did you say 315? 215. 215? It's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot for a potential clinch match. Um, David Zawada versus Alex Morono is next on deck, and – this was one where Danny really got the jump on me and set the spread for this one. Alex Morono being the favorite when I didn't really see that possible. Alex Morono minus 130, David Zawada plus 110. Yeah, I, I do think that there's a good opportunity here. Like I said on the set the spread, I'm not, I didn't have Morono as the favorite in terms of skill or in terms of what I think is going to happen in this fight. You look down his record and you see names like Cerrone and Pettis. And you, and you think, like, these are names that bring casuals to the TV. People have yeah. watched Alex Morono fight before. And then Zavada, I mean, the loss to Embiid is really what impresses me the most about him. I don't think that a single non 
true UFC fan has watched a Ramzan M.E. fight ever. However, I think that, as I alluded to, Zavada is the more skilled guy. They're both skilled wrestlers, good ground and pound, decent on the feet. But I favor Zavada kind of in both. I think he's going to be faster. I think he's going to be more technical. Um, and and Morono is just impossible to back after, especially as a favorite, after losing to Pettis this year, that aged like milk in the hot sun. I mean, I just think that Zavada is, is a good fighter. And I think that beating, beating Cowboy doesn't carry as much weight as it used to for me. Yeah, um, as good as he did look in that, it's just – doesn't hold as much water anymore. And I think that Zavada is the faster, younger, more technical fighter. See, I have the exact same read and I'm actually excited to get Zavada at a dog here. I had on set the spread. I think I had him as high as like minus 150, I think on Zavada's side. So this line shocked me. Alex Rohn is a gamer. He brings the fight IQ, but I mean, he'll be the first to admit he has no interest in going for gold. He has no interest in really can like i mean obviously he's not going out there to lose he's a guy who just likes to fight right he's out there because he enjoys it not because he's trying to reach the top of the mountain and like most of these guys are motivated by the gold by the top of the mountain by proving that they're the baddest guy that's not morono he's fine with who he is he just likes doing this shit and he's he's never the most athletic when he steps in there he's never the strongest never the fastest i mean he really just is a scrapper and he's trained his entire life and he usually brings fight iq to the table but I don't see that on the other side. And I think that if you can get Zawada at a dog price, it's hard to pass up on that, in my opinion. And so even I'm, slight. I'm seeing it plus yeah. 110 right now, and even that has me licking my chops. I agree. I'm all over that. So that'll probably see my card, and it sounds like it's also going to see DK Capper MMA underscore Longhorns. Parker, where are you for Parker Prop of the Week on David Zawada, Alex Morono? I think this is my favorite one of the fight. Okay. I like Zawada, TKO, plus 535. I love love the line yeah i think it's gonna happen see and most people because of the way he handled habib's brother i think probably like maybe by sub but tko is definitely within the cards um in a fight like this i I like that prop five five seventy five five thirty five five thirty five that's crazy (laughs) throw 10 bucks on that you're getting a free pay-per-view co-main event i i think this one, other than the main event, is, a, is probably my favorite, which is how cards should go. But this one really is going to sh- uh, sculpt the landscape of the heavyweight division. You got Tom Aspinall, 10-2, and two, against surveys, uh, Sergey Spivak, 13-2. and two, But the line isn't as close as you'd think. Tom Aspinall, minus 230. Spivak, plus 190. Yeah, Aspinall is a huge favorite here, but for good reason. He's a phenomenal boxer, accurate and heavy hands. And Spivak is not a polished striker by any means. And I, I really don't think his wrestling is very dominant either. He's a guy that, in terms of grappling, looks more to hold you up against the fence, control position without actually taking the fight to the mat, but still with controlling the octagon space and winning the round. And that's just not going to work against Aspinall, even, even in the small apex cage. I just think that Aspinall's footwork is too good. I think that his takedown defense is underrated. This is a guy who, as shocking as this is going to sound to y'all, has a jujitsu black belt, unless they're just giving out fake belts over there in England. But it's, I'm not worried if it does end up being with him on the mat for a second. I think he's athletic enough to pop right up or 
even get a sweep or whatnot, I think that Aspinall is going to have an answer for Spivak wherever this goes. And and yeah. we've we've seen it in the past when Spivak takes that step up in competition, and I'm not even talking about a major step up. I'm talking about Walt Harris. I'm talking about – I mean, Marcin Tibur is, is the real deal, but Walt Harris, he, he fades. No, uh, uh, one million percent. And – it's, it's, it's one of those lines that I think a lot of people are going to be shocked when they see it, but it's, to my opinion, I don't think it's a bad line at all. I mean, that's similar to where we both had it. Do you, do you think Aspinall can get the finish though? I do. I really think that his hands are, are, are accurate really is, the, yeah. is, is the key for me. I think that he can find that chin. And I don't think that Spivak has the defensive striking to really keep him away. I think that his only chance is to, make this ugly, get him to the fence, and have a hugging match. He also recently came off a submission against Andre Arlovsky. So it's not like he's a fish out of water if it takes a different turn. You're not looking at a guy who has no other method or rhyme or reason. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's just a well-rounded mixed martial artist. I also like the finish here, personally. Um, And that'll probably see my card. If you parlay Tom Aspinall with Jack Shore, that's sitting at minus 145. That's entirely playable. Yeah. I mean, easy. So the, the two Londoners or, or Englanders. I think Shore's Welsh, but I could be very wrong. Europeaners. Um, <laughs> Parker, what's your prop? I'm not going to get overly cute with this one. Aspinall inside the distance, minus 135. Yeah. I like that. I also like that. I don't hate that at all. Um, I love that my props are like, I don't hate that at all as meaning like, oh, that's a pretty good one. Well, I expect you to come in here with something just plus, uh, I want I want Aspinall round two sub plus 35,000. I'm like, okay. But th- that, I mean, these are well thought out and calculated props. I mean, I, I have to admit to the listeners, the last few weeks have not been uh, as detailed. I'm not giving out my, my strategy here, but uh, definitely put more thought into this one. Good. And that's where the green comes in. Cause you've been, I mean, absolutely blazing the tour. I mean, the competition, the MCC, the real reason why we shut it down is because there was no point anymore. I mean, you took such a lead. It was the whole point was we're playing for second and no one wants to see that main event this week, Darren Till, Derek Brunson. And I'm pretty sure Danny and I both agree. Darren Till's minus 170, Derek Brunson's 150. I really like Brunson here, Dan. I, I know on set the spread, you were with me. So this is, thoughts? Interestingly enough, this is one I've flip-flopped on. And I say interestingly enough because I'm a big Derek Brunson guy, especially this second coming of Derek Brunson, this blonde Derek Brunson, Sanford MMA Derek Brunson that is finishing Edmund Shabazian and dominating Kevin Holland. However, I think this is just going to be slightly too much for him, just just a little bit more than he can chew. Looking at that Brunson-Kevin Holland fight, I mean, so stylistically, Darren Till is a good kickboxer, comparable pretty similarly to both Shabazian and Holland. The difference that I have is just, I think that Till is just that much of a tick more athletic, that much of a tick better takedown defense. And Brunson struggled to hold down Holland towards the end of that fight. It, he, he really did it and to the point where he had to sacrifice the rest of his offense to just hold the position. And I don't think that's going to be something he's going to be able to do until, especially in a five-round fight. 
I do think that we're going to see Till's takedown defense tested. I expect Derek Brunson to get multiple takedowns. I don't think that there's a fight that – I don't think you could play this fight out 20 times and not have Derek Brunson land multiple takedowns. But I do think that Till's going to be able to not pop right up, but get up. And I think he's strong and athletic enough to do it. And I think that there's going to be some points on the feet where Till gets Brunson in trouble. I mean, we forget that Till dropped Robert Whitaker in the first round of their fight. That was, I mean, and we talk a lot about the differences in Robert Whitaker. That was a Robert Whitaker that ended up digging it out and, and winning that decision. I just think that in five rounds, Brunson's going to have more trouble in the, in the late rounds, which is really what I came around to when I, on Monday, when we were talking, I would have thought that the later that this fight goes, the more Till is gassed, the easier it is for Brunson to wrestle him. And I'm thinking the opposite now. I'm thinking that as later this goes, Till's going to be up, Till's going to be landing, and Till's going to get him in trouble. I think maybe a third or fourth round knockout is, is what, what's going to happen. Well, you have me curious is, what about Till's last four fights makes you versus Derek Brunson's last four fights? Where's your takeaway where 170's value for Till even though he really hasn't shown us shit at 85 and got embarrassed by Woodley at, at 70. So that, that's a really good question. Cause I'm not sitting here saying that there's value on till at 170. I think that he's got the, the hype and the crowd behind him that is pushing that line. And that, I mean, being like one in four, one in three in your last four, you should not be a favorite at all. That's what I'm thinking, especially when moving up in weight and not really showing shit. You're not wrong at all. I just think that when I look at this separate from any of the other fights, I think Till's going to kick his ass. And, 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 and this is from a guy that's backed Brunson and faded Till throughout yeah. the entire history that's of this show. So, that's why I'm so caught off guard by the switcheroo. I, I think I was the only one on Whitaker when everyone was on Till in his last fight. I do think that the gorilla is just going to be too much. I think he's too strong. I think he's, his striking is crisp. I think he's going to be a different challenge than the Shabazian and the Holland. And those are challenges where Brunson should never have been a dog, but it's not like he had a walk in the park. Like even with Holland, a guy that stylistically he dominated and should have dominated even more was kind of like talking shit and like almost getting like Brunson was struggling to keep him on, on the back in the fourth and fifth. It was just, I, no, I, I see, I have, I get exactly what you're saying. I do. I, there were worry points in the Holland fight where, where the success was mapped out. Like I, I get all that. And, and I, and I don't, I don't feel confident in a, in a striking exchange with 37 year old Brunson against Till. Like I don't, I agree with you there too. But I, I do think you're right. The values on the Brunson side, it's hard to back a favorite that's, that is one and one and three in their right. last four. Right. I just, I don't know, in my heart of hearts, when I look at this, I, w- I, mean, I went into taping thinking, oh, this is going to be an awesome spot to play Brunson as a dog again. We've been doing right. it to them all. Yeah. And I, I left it thinking, man, I, I just, Till's going to be too much. And honestly, at the end of the day, it's really not about getting value if it's a loser. I mean, the, if you really, in your heart of hearts, believe Darren Till's got this fight. And that's what flipped me, really. Right. I just... The, I think that Darren Till had some highlight finishes at 70. He was always massive 70, kind of catapult. He's such a personality. He catapulted his way to title contention at 70, gets dominated by Woodley. Okay, he's a little young. He got subbed. Sure, let him learn. 
he's shown me nothing at 85 that's anything to write home about. And now we're talking about him beating a surging Brunson who's ranked sixth. I don't even get why Till's ranked eighth, to be honest with you. I think that's a testament to how weak middleweights are right now. But showing me nothing is, I guess, where we differ because I do, even with taking that loss, I mean, I had a crumbling. I had him losing to Gaslam. I rewatched it at taping. I scored it again, saying I had him losing to Gaslam. Interesting, because I lost a bet on – I had Gaslam that night. But yeah, you got shit. You whatever. Got <laughs> um, no, but that, that Whitaker fight is really what's, what's doing it for me. That was him coming off of a broken collarbone, dropping Whitaker in the first, just looking really impressive. I, I don't think that Derek Brunson and Whitaker are even in the same stratosphere in terms of these no, I, middleweights. I don't disagree in that, but I think that – I don't disagree in that. You're right. I don't disagree. I just, it's it really, I think where we come down and agree is, is the line might just be a little hard to bet that I yep. think that, that's really where you're losing it. And I honestly, I think it's only going to get worse because you got Derek Brunson who's just fly under the radar guy. doesn't, I mean, he's a funny dude. If you follow him on social media and you oh, pay no, attention, he's, but he's a fly under the radar guy versus Darren Till's going to have a lot of public money. Right, so just showing up on Saturday. I want people to book it right now. D- Danny is predicting the first loss to blonde-haired Brunson. I am. Wow. I, I would be and just- I think he's going to get finished. I think five rounds is a lot for a guy with the athleticism and the heavy hands of the gorilla. Well, so now that we're getting into fight predictions, let's turn over to Parker's prop of the week. Parker, how's this one end? I, I have two things here. So out of the last four fights for Brunson, three of them were by decision. I know only one of them was a five-round fight. Yes. I'm on Brunson by decision plus 405. Wow. I also want to note if you, if y'all parlay all the picks I mentioned, $1 will pay you $904. <laughs> so if you have a book out there, that's insane enough to take that Parker sees the future, but okay. Brunson by decision. Now, Parker, do you have prop lines up right now in front of you? Um, I do. What is till inside the distance? Till inside the distance. Now, if that's plus, Danny, I don't disagree with you. I mean, if you get that at plus. I think it, it has to be plus. No, it has to be plus. But how? Five dimes, Till is plus 125. Okay. That's close. Er, it's a little more palatable, but I don't know, man. I'm struggling to really pick this one. I, I think it probably doesn't see my card personally. So that leads me to this, Dan. Does Till see your card? Or has your opinion just changed on the matter? I'm struggling with it. Right now, it's really just my opinion has changed. I think Till's going to win. I don't like that minus 170 price. Right now, my card is really just Zavada and that Shore Aspinall minus 145 parlay. Shore Aspinall, yeah. But there could could seriously be a Till-related play on my card. It probably will be some kind of inside the distance or a knockout probably. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I've got this just precognition that it's going to be a third or fourth, a late, a late knockout. We're going to see a lot of success in the wrestling from Brunson early and a tired Brunson is, is just going to get lit up in the third or fourth. And quick side note, every time Danny's come to me with an intuition, it's, it's proven to be correct. Remember that one night where you had two gut feelings and it both made me look like a dope. Those are both like plus 400 dog gut feelings too. Yeah, I know. And I got fooled. I looked like a bitch boy. So I don't know. Maybe we all listen to Danny's gut and hop on the train. With that being said, looking forward to Brunson Till this weekend. Kobe, 
anything to, to send us off into the distance? Is there something we need to add? Any scheduling changes going forward or just nothing but green lights ahead? Are we going to do a since there's no card this week, are we going to do a small contender series? Is there anything or, or is that I think, a I think we ought to get a week ahead of the set the spread. So you all have time to tape and maybe we'll throw in a little bit of contender series recap in there. Cool. There you go. So stay tuned for that pod. As always, rate, like, subscribe, follow us on all of our socials at Ankle Pick Pod. And more importantly, share with your friends. Every single listener really does go a long way for us boys here at the Ankle Pick headquarters. With that being said, Kobe, we haven't heard your beautiful voice that much tonight. Send us off into the distance. Oh, wow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.